Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. You know, one of the funniest um, experiences I had in Bible school, I used to go out with these guys. They'd do street preaching, and I went out with this one guy one time. His name was Tony Curdo. I think he's a Nazarene pastor in Southern California now. And he was... um, young guy with a beard and long hair preaching Christ on the streets and we went out witness and went to this place called Selland Arena which in Fresno, California sat about 10,000 people and they were having a national Jehovah Witness conference there well you don't know Tony Tony somehow got on the platform and somehow got the microphone I don't know how it happened and he preached out of John chapter 8 the great I am it was, it was quite disturbing <laughs> I wouldn't advise you doing it but it was kind of, a, I've laughed about it a long, for a long, long time. He is. He is. He's not someone who used to be. He's not a, just someone we believe in. But he's here. He is here in this place. The Lord lives in his church. It's how he reveals himself. He is I am. I am. I am. He is an awesome God. And he's, he's here today. He's nearer than you can even imagine. It's just, a, it's, you know, it's the, it's the hardness of our heart that comes from either for, from sin or from hurt or whatever that blocks us from his love. But he wants to love you. I mean, he really wants to love you. You know, I've, I've, last night I was, um, I was just feeling God's, as I was ministering about, about the touch of God, I felt his love on me in an, an unusual measure last night. I felt the love of God, and not, not for anything else, but for him just to remind me that he loves me, and he, he loves you today, and he has, he has a plan of restoration and healing in, for your life. It's, he's an awesome God. Um, I wanted to just mention, um, I'm preaching on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. I'd love for you to come out at 7 o'clock this Wednesday. Also, tonight I'll be ministering a Holy Ghost service. I am expecting God to visit us. You know, I was, I was um, just as we were worshiping this morning, I, you know, let me feel the kisses of your mouth. Let me feel your warm embrace. And I, f- I just felt now. It felt now, Lord. It's now, Lord. Not, not some other time, not some other week, not some other service. Now, Lord God. Now, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just hope you're ready for, you know, I hope you're ready and willing for an interruption. Let me give you, a, I want to give you just a little heart litmus test this morning. If you to make sure, ushers, make sure no one's got any rotten tomatoes or anything to throw at me. <laughs> but there's um, to a little litmus test for you. If it was possible, I know it's not possible, but if, if it was possible for you not to deal with the, the issue or the possibility of eternal hell, and if it was possible that, that you could actually extend your life permanently eternally, without even having to go to a place called heaven. You could just live in this life and enjoy your life as it is. Now, I know you're going to try to give me the right answer, but I mean in your heart of hearts. In your heart of hearts, would you choose that? Because I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of he- people here, if, they, if the truth were told, would choose that. Or a second question that's kind of like it. Why is it, why is it that you want to go to heaven? 
And not just the, not just the, not just the, to avoid the alternative. You know, and you know, it's not just because you have an eternal, eternal buffet with no calories to worry about. It's not, that's not the reason. It's not the, the mansion on the side of some, you know, some beautiful seaside resort, seaside resort. It's not the golden streets. It's not the grandma and grandpa and aunt so-and-so. It's not, it's not, none of those things, none of those things are attractive to someone that's tasted the reality of the one who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. When you taste for yourself the goodness of God, the answer is unmistakable. Oh, I want to go to heaven because I can't wait to to see Jesus. I can't wait to see him for myself. I want to be with him. He's the one that saved me from my destructive life. He's the one that washed me from my sins. He's the lover of my soul. I love it when his presence comes upon me and he kisses me with the kisses of his mouth and he wraps his arms around me. I can't wait. I can't wait to lay in his presence for 10,000 years and throw my crown at his feet and to join with the holy, holy, holy and to feel the glory of his presence washing over me. That's why I want to go to heaven. So I want to, you know, there's some, I saw, recently I saw a Facebook post, and I've shared this before, but I've, I've come, the more I, I look at it, the more I evaluate it. I think social media, Twitter, Facebook, and all those things are actually the judgment of God coming upon humanity. And the reason it is, you know, judgment can be good and it can be bad. I mean, if you go to the judge and he lets you, and, he, and you've, you can get a good judgment and you can be shouting and rejoicing, or you can get a judgment that's not so good and not be happy when you come out of the courtroom. So it can go either way. So judgment's not necessarily bad. But the, the reason I say it's the judgment of God, because it, 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 it tempts man in such a way that he can't help himself. He has to expose the nature of his heart on Facebook. He has to. Out of the abundance of the heart, it just spills out on the, out on the pages. It comes out. And that's why it's justice and judgment. But I was recently reading a post that someone put on Facebook, and it was, they were reposting a, an article that recently came out by Charisma Magazine that was attacking the so-called charismatic practice of falling under the Spirit, being slain in the Spirit, laying under His presence, you know, it's amazing that this same magazine was shouting the accolades of Toronto and Brownsville 15 or 20 years ago, but now they're saying it's not biblical. I wish they'd get, make up their minds. But anyway, is it biblical for people to fall under the power? And if so, what's the benefit of it? You know, why, why should we fall under the power? And so I think, you know, just for just a quick reflection, I think back through the scriptures and I think of, what happened in, in Second Chronicles, in, in, in the book of Second Chronicles, when the priests dedicated the temple, it says that the priests could not stand to minister into the temple because of the glory of his presence. Last time I checked, when you can't stand, that means you're, you can't, you're on the ground, you're falling down. They couldn't stand to minister because of the glory of his presence. We have a greater glory in this New Testament than we have in the Old Testament. And if I'm not mistaken, well, something happened to Daniel when even an angel appeared to him. The, the glory of God that was on that angel struck Daniel to the floor. If I'm not mistaken, 
Something happened to the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, breathing out threats and murders. He was on the road to Damascus, headed to, headed to Damascus to, to root out the Christian church. The power of God fell on him. He saw the glory of the Lord, his face shining like the sun in his strength. And the next thing you know, Paul's eating dirt from the Damascus roads, stuck to the floor. And if I'm not mistaken, there was, a, there was an account in, 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 the, in the Gospels in Gethsemane when Jesus was just getting up from the prayer in Gethsemane. And this legion of soldiers came to arrest him. And they said, where is Jesus of Nazareth? And he said to them, I am. And if you read it in the Gospel of John, they were all just laid out on the floor. The entire legion knocked under the power of God. And he waited for him to get up to arrest him. Amazing. It wasn't like he was running in fear. What an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Now, our God is an awesome God. Now, I, I want to read to you an account of John when John had an experience like this. John, the, the apostle, he was, he was serving as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he was he taken to prison. He was thrown in prison on the Isle of Patmos for the preaching of the gospel. It, persecution was beginning to break out against the church under Diocletian, and he was thrown into prison, and he was in the spirit, it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was praying and worshiping and thinking about what must be happening in Ephesus that day. And the hand of God came upon John in an unprecedented measure. And this is what he says. Then I turned when I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet. And girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like brass, fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. John saw... The same Jesus he had spent three years with, but now he saw him in his glorified heavenly states. This was the man, Jesus, standing there on the beach on the Isle of Patmos as the glorified risen Savior. No one can stand in his presence. No one can stand in his presence. No one in a non-glorified body can stand before the mighty presence of our gods. Impossible. When I saw him, when I saw him, everyone say, when I saw him. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I fell at his feet, looked like he was shot between the eyes with a rifle, dead, dead on his face before God. And he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. You know, this, this was not just a a Pentecostal goosebump session. This was a reason. There was a reason. There is, there's a reason for an encounter with God. God is doing something when he touches our lives. 
with John, he was giving him a revelation of Jesus Christ and he was bringing him a revelation of things to come for his generation, for the seven churches he was responsible for, for his generation and for the the generations to come. And he was prophesying about the things that you and I are stepping into in these last days. Thank God for this visitation. Out of this touch of God, he was caught up into visions visions and dreams and he began to see things unspeakable things that he began to write and try to write and try to take words to to draw the pictures of things that he heard and the things that he saw in the book of revelation incredible book you know i was for you know there's a lot of people that are today even in the church that are against supernatural manifestations they don't want speaking in tongues in church they really don't like you lifting your hands, even though it's, it's somewhat allowable in most places. But, you know, you're, the one th- they don't want you getting too excited in church. They don't want you making any unacceptable noises at, at so-called inappropriate times. If you get happy, you're not supposed to actually shout for joy. You're not supposed to actually dance before the Lord. You're supposed to put a lid on it. And one thing that's that, 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 that pastors don't, that, that are, a lot of them are against, and a lot of Christians are against is actual manifestation, shaking, speaking in tongues, prophesying, falling under the power. Oh, we don't want to, we don't want to scare the, un, the non-Christians. No, actually what's happening is you're offending the backslidden Christians when these things happen. That's what's happening. But anyway, I didn't say that. But I was, you know, I was, um, I was one of those guys. I can talk about those guys because I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about the way I was. I was against the moving of the Holy Spirit. I was against the power of the Holy Ghost actually touching people's life in a visible way in a church service because I thought it would affect the growth of that church. And, and I, was, I was against those things. I thought it was hucksterism and I thought it was some sort of fundraising tactics. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it. I didn't want to be around it. I'd been around some, some little bits of it. You know, I, I had a, they had an evangelist that preached at our Bible school one time and, and I went up for prayer. People were, were falling under the power and I had, had actually had a broken shoulder. I was in a sling. I broke my shoulder roller skating and it was hurting. I didn't want to take the medications the doctors had given me. So I went up for prayer and he laid his hands upon me. When he laid his hands upon me, he did one of these, knocked me right on the ground. I mean, it was not a gentle touch. It was like, boom. There I was with an aching shoulder laying on the ground. Didn't help me at all. And, and it even made me more against that behavior. Now, just because there are people, inappropriate displays in church. I mean, there's all kinds of people that act like they're under the anointing and act like they're doing stuff when it's just the flesh. And just because someone's acting like it doesn't mean it's the real thing. And just because somebody is abusing so-called falling under the power doesn't mean it's not real and doesn't mean we should throw it out. Because it's very real. It's life-changing. Now, I had... Again, I was against these things, and I was, um, um, I, I was at, a, at a conference in 1994. In August of 1994, I was at a conference in Maui, Hawaii. It should have been one of the greatest times of my life, but actually that week was one of the most miserable weeks of my life. 
I was miserable. I was miserable because I'd been pastoring for 16 years. And the, I was offended at Christians in my church. I was offended at pe- people that used to be on my staff. I was tired of preachers. I was tired of all the garbage that I saw behind the scenes. I was up to here, here with pr- ministry. I didn't want to do it anymore. My only problem is I had nothing else I could do. I was stuck and I was miserable. And so, you know, that, I, I was, that week some guy was following me around, a preacher from Louisville, Kentucky, was following me around all week telling me about a revival. He was telling me about this revival, about the move of God, and about people being touched by the power of God, and, and people being knocked out under the power, and going in trances, and laughing, and their lives being changed, and churches being visited by a visitation. I didn't want to hear about it. I hated that guy, and I hated what he was telling me. At the end of that next week, I went home and, and um, I, I went to another meeting. I went to the meetings in Rockwall, Texas, and where, where Rodney Howard Brown was ministering. He was having a month-long revival meeting. He was there day and night for weeks. I happened to go there during the third week, and I went into those services, and it was my worst nightmare when I got there. There were people laying on the floor for hours. There were people laughing and rolling on the floor. There were people running around the building. There were people jumping up and shouting for joy. There was people getting saved. There was services that lasted for hours and hours. I wasn't, it wasn't a short, nice, controlled service. It was, in my perspective, it was out of control. I was there for six days, day and night, these extended services. I I didn't like what I saw, but as I sat there day after day after day, I began to unmistakably, the presence of the Lord began to increase and increase and increase upon my life. I didn't like the way people were responding, but I couldn't deny God was in that house. God was there. He was there. So after after about a, a week or so, I went up for prayer, got myself in a nice firm position where I could not be pushed down. I wasn't going to have it happen to me again. It's the second time. No one's going to knock me down a second time. Just, okay, let's go. And um, pastor came and put his finger on my forehead, pastor, um, evangelist, and put his finger on my forehead, and I, I crumpled to the floor. My staff was in the second row. They come over that, that a few days after I was there, and I was thoroughly embarrassed because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a, preachers don't need to fall out. Preachers don't need ministry. Preachers don't need the touch of God. And I wanted to get up off the floor. My body would not respond to the commands that was being given by my head. And I was stuck to the floor. Stuck. Stuck to the floor. And there was, there was something. Now here is, this is now we start to get to the, to the reason for this. The Lord was operating on the inside of me. He was taking stuff out of me and he was putting stuff inside of me. He, he had a work to do in my life and he had a, a plan that he wanted to, to see happen in our church in New Orleans. He didn't want me to be offended. He didn't want me to run off and try to do something else. He wanted me to, to be changed, to be transformed. You know, it's that Sunday when I came back to church, that Sunday, the visit, that, the, same, the same presence, that same presence that was there for that week in that other church, as soon as I opened my mouth that Sunday, that same, that same presence from the back of the church to the front of the church was in this house. 
the glory of the Lord. It was, it was sudden, it was unexpected, and it was stronger than I could have imagined. That very first service, people were falling out on the, under, the, under the power of God. All throughout the, uh, and, and literally, there were some stuck to the floor when the nighttime service started that night, still for, under the power of God from that morning. Visitation. Now, let me just, I want to just share with you some of the things that happened to me as a result of that. The, fir- the first thing that happened to me as a result, you know, you, I'm sure there's people here that don't like all of that, but... but the, the first thing that happened to me is God began to restore in my heart a first love for him. Jesus, I want to know first love. I want to know first love. And, the, you know, somehow, you know, I, when, when I first got saved, I was, I was so in love with Jesus, so on fire for him, and, and I was all about him. And, and somehow there was a distraction that came in. It was, it was professionalism. It was success. It was trying to, trying to do the will of God and the work of God in my own strength and my own ability. And somehow, some way, it became a job. It became a, it became a work system. It became a formula instead of a person. And God just washed that out of me in that, those moments, those first 30 minutes under the power of God, he began to pour into me and pour into me the oil of passion, a new passionate, passionate love for my Father in heaven, for Jesus the Son and the wonderful person of the Holy Ghost. First love began to be poured back into my life. Amen. Like John said in Revelations 2, he was talking to one of the churches. He said, out of this revelation, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Remember there from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the Lord wanted to, he wanted to pour back into me first love. And that was the, that was the greatest, the greatest event that, that took place in my life. First love. Begin to love the Lord again and to, to love him just as a Christian, as a Christian man. God began to heal my heart. Now, this, the second thing that was profound that happened to me, every one of us are different, but, you know, the tendency for humans when they go through trials, when they go through disappointments, they go through hurts in their life, many times it starts to affect, first of all, their marriage and their family. If you have trouble with your children, it many times it erupts in marriage problems. If you have trouble with your finances, many times it erupts in marriage problems. You, you start fighting with the one you love the most. And there was, there was tension like there had never been before in my marriage in August of 1994. I think I, 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 I probably scared Paris when I told her I didn't want to pastor anymore. And there was, a, I'm sure that that was disturbing for her because, you know, this is all she knew. I couldn't do anything else. And we were stuck. And um, so, I, as I got ready, I packed my bags to go to those meetings in Rockwall, Texas. She gave me a book and she says, I want you to read this while you're gone. And it was a book about marriage. Well, I never did read the book. I hate reading those books about marriage. I can't stand it. So I never read the book. But something happened that week in my heart. It was a heart of, my heart changed. What happened? A new love for God. Well, that same thing came back into our congregation. God began to visit our congregation. He's been visiting us with waves of revival. And there's those first few years where we're incredible visitation of the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, Paris and I both were swept into that move of the Holy Ghost. 
And our, our attention for both of us became the Word of God and became revival and prayer and worship in the body of Christ. And you know, that, was what had, that is what had put us together in the first place. Our marriage had been birthed by, by the relationship with Jesus Christ. He was the foundation of our marriage. He was the love, the cement between us. He was the bond of love that held us together. And when we had lost our first love, it caused a, a split in our relationship. Since 1994, our, our relationship is now a, a relationship based on, on this book, literally talking about this book, talking about our blogs, talking about what God has shown us, talking about worship, talking about visitation, talking about, about, about Him, about Jesus. So on the floor that day, God gave me two powerful, powerful miracles. He restored my first love and he restored my marriage love. It was absolutely a, 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 an, an internal miracle inside of my life. You know, it's awesome. It's an awesome. He's an awesome God. You know, let me, let me just go through a couple of other things. Maybe there's some of you here today that are going through stuff. One of the things that, that God did for me, he healed me from betrayal. You know, I had, you know, we had all kinds of trouble before. When we built this building, we had trouble with the finances. We had trouble with, there was the evangelist wars. There was financial chaos. It was a, a tough time. There was people that got upset. There was staff, staff that ran for their lives. And there was, there was people, you know, when you, people get offended, they got mad about this and mad about that and left the church. Well, I had a, I had a list myself. It had probably two or 300 people on that list people that had offended me in this church. Members of the church, ministers from the church, but I had a huge problem. I couldn't leave. I was stuck. It was my name that was on the line. I couldn't run off. I was stuck here, and I had to sit up week after week, preach to people that I didn't even like. I wanted bad stuff to happen to them. How am I going to preach good stuff? I'm just being honest. I'm sure you've never been like that before. <laughs> but one of the things that God did in my life, just like he did for Joseph, God caused Joseph to forget his sorrows, forget his betrayal, and actually love the people that had mistreated him, offended him, and betrayed him. To love them and minister to them and care for them as a shepherd. He did a miracle in my life. The Spirit of the Lord, we read this earlier, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He healed my broken hearts so that I could heal other broken hearts. It was a miracle that happened on, the, on God's Holy Ghost operating table, laying on the floor, being operated on by God the Holy Ghost. He restored for me a love for the Word of God. It says in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. God's Word became my passion. You know, I started reading all these different translations and I, I discovered out of the, one of the things I discovered in 1994 was this book called The Message, Message Translation of the Bible. And I started reading the Psalms out of this. And it was, it was like a fresh drink every day. Let me read a portion of this one psalm. This, so, so God restored my love and my passion for reading the Bible. Not just for getting sermons, 
But this became, this became my daily joy. This became what I, I looked for time. I looked for time, a few moments, a few spare moments to read the Bible. It was just like that first year I got saved, carrying around my New Testament, waiting for a break at work so I could read my Bible, waiting to get off so I could read my Bible, looking for the Saturday off so I could spend the day searching the Scriptures. I loved the Bible. It was part of my salvation experience, and somehow that had grown cold over the years, and it came back again to me in 1994. It's awesome. It's the miracle work of God. Here's, here's what Psalm 63 says. God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and your glory. In your generous love, I'm really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. Awesome. Awesome God's Word is awesome. It's, a, it's an endless ocean of blessing. The touch of God will cause you to want to read it. He put a restored love for worship in my life. Just like I was just reading, a restored love for worship. Our, our church began to experience a renovation in our worship. You know, we, we, instead of trying to find this, the hot songs that people were singing that make your churches grow, we started singing the songs that I loved. It's songs of expression, songs of worship, like the song we just sang, True Love. Why did we sing it this morning? Because I wanted to because I enjoy singing it. Because every time I sing it, I'm brought back into that, that place of intimacy with God. Jesus, I long to know true love. That's in my heart. I, I love that. I love to worship Him. I love to, to lift my hands. I love to, to sing to Him. I love to praise Him in the Holy Ghost. The Lord has sent the Spirit of His Son into my heart, crying out, Abba, Father, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus, Hallelujah, 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 glory to your name. Yeah, restored love for his presence, restored love for worship, flowed into my heart and flowed into our church. A restored love for, for the church fathers. For thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. They said, we will not walk in it. You know, one of my my favorite quotes of all time. Let me read this to you. And I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. This this is my my favorite non-biblical quote of all time. And I, I discovered this shortly after that visitation. It's Jonathan Edwards. And this is what he said about heaven. Heaven. Everyone say heaven. In heaven alone is the attainment of our highest good. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper happiness and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven 
fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows. He didn't say they were bad, but he said they're shadows in comparison to the sun. Not even close. Don't shout me down. Uh, We've, you know, the church has become, now this is probably like a heretical statement to some of you, but the church has become lover of family more than lovers of God. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Our love for family should flow out of our love for God and not vice versa. It flows out of our love for God. My love for my wife is greater than it was pre-94 because I love the Lord. And, and out of his, out of that intimate touch of God, there's a new respect and love for my wife and who she is in Christ. It's awesome. So it's better than fathers and mothers and husbands or wives or children or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but God is the substance These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Restored restored my love for the men who've gone before us and the touch of God upon my life. It restored for me my love for ministry. Instead Instead of despising people, actually wanted to preach to people and minister to people and lay hands on people, having church day and night and day and night for weeks and years. Why? Because I loved it, and I wanted to lay hands on people. I loved worshiping and drinking, and I loved pouring out. I loved the prayer line. I loved feed the multitudes. I loved beyond the grave. I love our ministries because they're opportunity to pour Pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out. If that's not your testimony, I have a suggestion. Get in the prayer line and get zapped by the power of God. Get under his anointing. Get under the influence. Get under the influence. She, instead of being under the influence of the worldly spirits, you get under the influence of the heavenly comforter, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and put a, a passion for God and a love for souls, a love for your wife and a love for your children that's not filtered by the world, but it's filtered by God himself. And finally, love for his presence. Oh yeah, I love for his presence. Psalm 1611, you will show me, David said, the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. It's your right hand or our pleasures evermore. In your presence, in your presence, just close your eyes with me right now. And let's just, um, let's just quote this verse, quote this verse. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Let, let's try it again. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Now, if you didn't get it, the the right hand of God is where Jesus is seated. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I had to, one of, the, one of the things that I learned is not to speak about things that I didn't know about. Not to try to teach people about 
the gifts of the Spirit when you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Never to teach people about the, the function and use of tongues when you don't have that gift in your life. Because it's, it's impossible to teach people about things you've done, you haven't experienced. To try to, to teach against the moving of the Holy Spirit, which is what I was doing. I had no clue about the anointing. I had no clue. And, and you know, we, we, we can't listen to people that are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're not under His presence. And listen to what they have to say about this precious, precious part of our Christian experience. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.